Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Let's check in with the bargain hunter himself. Welcome back, Ryan Wong. Don't worry if you miss 10, 10, there's 11, 11, there's 12, 12, and more to come. <laughs> if there's 13, 13, I'm sure they will have done that as well. So, lots of bargains. Uh, I don't know. Have you found any bargains yet? I am looking around mm-hmm. and I am actually recovering from a holiday. Too much spending, so I'm going to cut back for the time being. All right. So, a subdued 10, 10 day for Ryan. I'm on the hunt for my new ninja pot. In the meanwhile, Australian stocks are trading down this morning following losses on Wall Street on Friday. Sydney is down 1.4%. Much of Asia is closed today for public holidays, including the markets in Japan, Korea, Taiwan and Malaysia. Joining me now, of course, is Ryan Huang back from his long break and we are so happy to see him. Now, we begin this Monday morning with a look at the latest direct deals and corporate share buybacks. And what really catches my eye is the increasing number of property plays. Directors at Keppel DC REIT, Maple Tree, Pan Asia Commercial REIT, Sasser REIT, and Yanlord Land. They've all found it to be a good time to buy shares in their companies. So I'm going to start with Yanlord Land. It focuses on high end properties, largely in China, but also here in Singapore. So who is increasing their stake in Yanlord? Yeah, so you have some insider buying going on. And across many REITs, Yanlord, let's start with that. You've got the independent non Executive Director Hong Pian Ti. Now, he has bought 100,000 shares at 97 cents per share. So, this increased his total interest in the real estate developer from 0.04% to 0.05%. And some background to who he is, he is uh, was previously from PwC from 1985 to 1999 prior to his retirement before the year 2000. So that is pretty much a bit of a summary of uh, what's been going on with Yanlord. Shares of Yanlord land are down 13% since the beginning of the year, but they did rise last week. They rose by about 1.5% to $0.97 cents per share. And that is the same level at which Hong PNT bought in. Let's turn to the REIT sector. Ryan, what do you notice there on the director deal front? Yeah, if a couple of deals happening, looks like a bit of a buying spree going on with Maple Tree Panasia Commercial Trust. Among them, you've got independent non-executive director Lilian Chiang. She has bought 30,000 units of the trust at $1.70 per unit. You've got Capo DC REIT as well. Non-executive director Thomas Pang has bought 13,000 units of Capo DC REIT at an average price of $1.64 per unit. So that comes up to about $21,000 and this will increase his direct interest in the REIT to 97,188 units, which represents 0.01% of the total number of issued units. Cecil Asset Management, lead independent director Gu Ting Yang has bought 30,000 units and this is at 70 cents per unit and this takes his direct interest in the REIT to 342,500 units which represents 0.03% direct interest. If we take a closer look at the REIT sector, there are three real estate investment trusts focused on the UK and Europe, and they're all performing 
quite poorly. Cromwell, European REIT, iREIT Global and Elite Commercial REIT are all down about 20 to 30 percent this year. Our sister publication, The Business Times, is running an article this morning, though, that argues that these REITs still have strong assets. What do you think? Yeah, there is an argument to be had here. So if you take a step back and look at how these UK and Europe-based REITs uh, have been doing in the past year, they have been going through a bit of a slump and they have been pretty much suffering a bit of a sell-off with investors trying to get out of the action happening there. So if you look at what's been happening in that space, they've lost between 21 to 30% year to date. And that is more than the 14% that the FTSE Straits Times REIT Index has done. So it has lost more than the Straits Times REIT Index and versus the benchmark STI that's flat. So you can see how investors have been selling out of that space. But maybe it has been overdone. The sell-off may have been overdone mm-hmm. because market observers and analysts are saying that the fundamentals in the UK and Europe markets remain stable despite inflation, recession, and currency risks. So with that drop in prices, they believe it becomes more attractive to the extent that it might become a time or to get in on the dips or see them as bargains because of the yields that now uh, are now higher based on price-to-book valuations, and you are looking at yields close to decade-high levels. Now, before we move on, one more note about the direct-to-share purchases. There are a few other locally listed companies that are attracting interest because of direct-to-deals this week, and they are JB Foods, Samudera Shipping, Asonic Aerospace, and the crate maker LHT Holdings. In terms of corporate share buybacks, Yang Zichang Financial tops the list. It spent $5.7 million last Last week on its own stock. Yang Zijiang Financial shares finished the week unchanged though at 37.5 cents each. I'm going to zoom out, take a look at broader markets now. The US markets closed this evening for Columbus Day. They lost a good bit of ground on Friday though amid concerns about interest rates. The Nasdaq fell nearly 4%. S&P 500 dropped 2.8%. This came amid some solid hiring numbers. Now it seems like this was another case of what's good news for workers and the US economy is actually bad news for markets. Tell us more. Yeah, it's a mixed bag of data, but mostly skewed towards how the US labour market appears to be rather resilient. And we talked about the jobs report last week weighing on sentiment. It came through with a reading of 263,000 jobs all in another month that is showing a solid hiring pace. So this is, for some context, actually the slowest uh, pace of hiring uh, monthly gains since April 2021, but still all in quite solid. And that is not great news for the Fed, who is mm. hoping for a slower, much slower pace of hiring, which will mean it will then mean less pressure on employers to raise pay and pass on those costs to customers through price increases. And of course, this is what's pretty much a recipe for high inflation. Uh, but if you look at some of the details into what's playing out, there are other things to Take note of, and mm-hmm. this is the proportion of Americans who either have a job or are looking for one. So that proportion has dropped. So that is a disappointment for fat policymakers who are hoping that more people enter the workforce to help alleviate some of those worker shortages and also alleviate the 
upward pressure on wages and inflation. So that is a bit of a disappointment. Um, hourly wages are up 5% based on the latest report. So all in, you've got market watchers expecting another jumbo-sized rate hike in the next FOMC meeting in November. Investors are also going to be keeping their eyes on petrol prices this week. Brent crude approaching 98 US dollars a barrel. West Texas above, back above, 92 dollars. Now, last week, OPEC plus oil ministers agreed to cut production by 2 million barrels per day starting November. And this has already fueled a rise in prices. But some analysts say the lower production numbers could really be more illusion than reality. Why is that? Yeah, this has always been the issue with what happens with OPEC, right? Hmm. There is a lot of talk, but whether they can execute the plan is another question. So one of the big drivers of market sentiment, market sentiment in recent days has been the OPEC Plus production cut. It's a big headline, 2 million barrels a day from November. So this is not welcome news for people who are hoping for oil prices to go down further because that cuts supply. But the question here is, how much will that really impact the actual supply? Because what's happening right now is you have the grouping comprising over 20 countries. And what's happening is many of these countries are not following strictly the guidance that's been pretty much drafted by OPEC Mm. to cut production. And many of them are not producing to their quotas already. So a cut in production doesn't actually move the needle in that sense because they have been producing below quotas, sometimes because of underinvestment in their capacity. Um, Then you have the other hand, some members overproducing their quotas. And this is because... For many cases, they want to earn more revenue, so they want to produce more. So it's a very inconsistent, uh, I guess, compliance with the OPEC Plus members uh, with how they are trying to cut production. But all in, you have pretty much net-net the production quota already not being met. So this means that huge production headline cuts doesn't really transpire to 2 million barrels. It is probably going to be less. Great explanation, Ryan. What else is on investors' radars this week? Oh, quite a busy week. I think at the top of the list for me would be the earnings season. So this is going to kick things off with the U.S. banks in earnest come Friday. You've got the likes of J.P. Morgan, BlackRock, and the usual suspects um, all releasing their numbers. And of course, banks will be interesting to watch in terms of impact of interest rate hikes and how much they are bracing for a slowdown in the economy. In the previous season or previous quarter, we already saw some um, banks laying off people in their property divisions because the jump in interest rates meant many people did not want to borrow as much, especially in the property space. So they cut many people from that division. So we'll see how that's playing out for them. And also, we will get a snapshot of other companies like PepsiCo, Mm -hmm. Delta Airlines. So it's a bit of a snapshot of how the various industries are coping. I guess the good news will be for the energy space, which is still seeing elevated prices. So that could be one of the bright spots for the earnings season. And the inflation data coming through from China and the US at the end of the week 
will likely be the big ones to watch in terms of how that will feed into expectations for interest rate hikes. All right. On to news that everybody is talking about besides um, the fact that that fake Russian heiress is now out on home arrest, I believe, or home detention. That's another show. It's time for the Elon Musk files, the world's richest man making all sorts of waves once again, both for his comments on Twitter as well as his battle with Twitter, not to mention for some actual real business reasons. So let's start with Musk's move this week into the world of international relations and more specifically his view on what he thinks should happen to Taiwan. Yeah, Elon Musk waded into one of the hottest and most volatile flashpoints in the US-China relations story. What did he say? (laughs) I am just scratching my head why he wants to do this because it's a hot potato. Um, So he has been in the news recently for Posing his ideas about how to keep the peace between Russia and Ukraine. That was not welcomed by many people. Um, then you now have him wading into the space of China and Taiwan, which he is proposing a one country, two systems kind of arrangement, which is what Hong Kong and China have been set up to be. So, That has been welcomed by China because it is pretty much what they've been pushing for. Uh, Of course, you have the other camp not too happy with his proposal. It's interesting to see how he is, I guess, pushing or imposing his views when he doesn't need to because he's not a politician. um, And (laughs) it will be something that will be dissected in the coming days. And of course, implications for his businesses because, you know, it involves U.S. politics, U.S. lawmakers who are bankrolling a lot of his projects as well. So that has many implications. Can't imagine Taiwan is uh, very happy with Musk's comments. How did China react? Yeah, China is, of course, pretty happy, so much so that Ting Kang, China's ambassador to the U.S., thanked Elon Musk for his proposal, saying on Twitter that the one country, two systems framework is a basic principle for resolving the Taiwan question. And then hours later, you have the foreign ministry spokeswoman, Mao Ning, also affirming those remarks. Uh, So pretty much welcomed by China. And I guess it's going to be good news for Elon Musk as he tries to ramp up his business in China. And from US-China relations... Let's take a look at Tesla. Tesla's China sales up. Its share price is down. The past week was Tesla's worst, by the way, in over two years, down nearly 16%. Investors have been closely watching to see whether Musk's acquisition of Twitter is going to be on or off. We should have a clearer idea about this before the end of the month. At the same time, we have more details on how much Musk's bankers stand to lose should the deal go forward. Tell us more. Yeah, I've got the China story playing out for Tesla. In a positive fashion, they are selling more cars, partly because of an upgrade to a factory in Shanghai. So that's great news. It's an 8% increase from August. And then going into his other project, which is trying to buy Twitter. So that involves many banks, and they are bankrolling quite a big sum. And uh, we are looking at analysts projecting that we could be actually seeing some of these banks losing up to $500 million or even more because of how this is um, being arranged. So they have been quite eager initially to help Elon Musk bankroll his 
um, bid for Twitter. But part of that arrangement means that they will be funding the purchase by offering the debt to outside investors. But it's not guaranteed that you will get any buyers for this debt. So they might be on the hook for the debt if they can't sell it. So that'll be one to watch to see how much appetite there is for this um, deal to be done. Bear in mind, he proposed the bid at $54.20 a share. Mm. And Twitter's share price pretty much quite a ways down since then. Time now for more corporate news. Speaking of down, it's time for Up or Down. Are you ready, Ryan? We are ready. This is your welcome back edition, a Saudi utility company called Marafik. All right, Marafik is an up for me. And they have been trying to go for an IPO. They set a price between $10.90 and $12.22 per share. And in a matter of hours, it was all snapped up and they raised $897 million. Marafik, going public soon. All signs pointing to that successful IPO. The listing is valued at nearly 900 million US dollars. And within just hours of opening its order book, Marafik secured enough investor demand to fully cover the listing. Wow, up for me. Chipmakers. I would go with down. And this is with the latest results coming through from AMD and Samsung Electronics. Both of them painting a disappointing picture of what's to come. So they missed expectations and they are painting a downturn that could be deeper and longer than what many people were fearing at first. Down for me too. Shares of AMD fell nearly 14% on Friday. After posting some disappointing preliminary third quarter results, AMD slump appears to be due to lower demand for PCs as well as supply chain issues. Shares of the other chip makers, including Intel and NVIDIA, fell on Friday as well. China's Meituan. All right, Meituan is pretty much the grab food of um, China. So they will be an up for me. They are thinking about making their first global push mm-hmm. into the Hong Kong market as well as other international markets because partly because um, the Chinese domestic market has kind of slowed down for them. So they are looking overseas and I think that will be great news for growth for May Tuan. I think so too. Looking to expand overseas first into Hong Kong and then other international markets. So the food delivery Titan over in China looking to spread its wings with overseas expansion. I think this could be an up for May Tuan's business. SPH Reed. All right, that will be an up for me. And this is with the stronger sentiment that's been playing out in the retail sector. We've seen people going out to um, going out to shop, tourists coming in to shop. And that is just lifting the retail scene. So much so, we are looking at an encouraging picture in its latest earnings. And that has led to a 2.2% rise in its 12-month DPU or distribution per unit and we are seeing also some bright spots when it comes to the footfall that is various simple assets including Paragon that is seeing an 8.8% increase overall mm-hmm. uh, rental reversions are also improving from over negative 8% to now slightly over negative 2% so a lot of um, good 
bright spots for SPH REIT. Indeed, SPH REIT benefiting from that recovery in the retail sector. SPH REIT's occupancy rate is running above 97% and the REIT is raising its distributions to unit holders by 2.2%, so that is an up. Let's check in on how stocks are doing this morning. We are now 26 minutes into the local trading day on the 10th of October or 10.10 and while the Straits Times Index finished marginally lower on Friday, it still finished half a percent higher for the week at 31.45. So how are the blue chips doing this morning? Yeah, 10.10, sell-off is what's happening for the STI right now. There is not a single stock in the green. Wait, there's one now just up. Ah. It's sets. It's now up by 0.3%. Otherwise, pretty much everything else is in the red. And that's being led by Yangjiejang Shipbuilding, down over 4% at $1.13, followed by Maple Tree Industrial Trust, down over 2.5%. Maple Tree Pan Asia Commercial Trust, down over 2% as well. Capital Land Integration Commercial Trust, um, down more than 2%. Lots of trusts and REITs in the top 10 losers. So that's pretty much the picture we are seeing. And of course, this pretty much tracks what's happening across the region. And bear in mind, you've got holidays playing out across the region for various markets. So that is quieter than usual uh, for activity in the markets. So that is the action on the Singapore front right now. All right, one last story before I let you go because it is the buzzword du jour. Have you heard of generative AI? It has Silicon Valley really a buzz. So this is about you entering a phrase, a word, maybe something that doesn't quite make sense even, and an AI program will turn out a piece of less than perfect artwork, some say. Have you seen some of these? works. I'm trying to wrap my head around this idea, right? So it seems like something that a certain generation would like. And it just brings to mind that trend around NFTs, which have which has since faded from its highs. So I'm wondering if this will actually take off, you know, artwork Ah. painted by a computer. I don't know. I was at Token 2049 and there were some avid NFT collectors who'd say that the personal PFP, the personal profiles, pictures are really going to take off and maybe this can feed into it somehow because if you if we all spend more time in the metaverse we will be mm. chatting with each other through these personal profiles which at the end of the day is an image. But do we really need an AI to create something new at least in this field look at the images uh they have like extra toes extra fingers <laughs> really quite bizarre i guess it's a good start to something else maybe they will find a better application for this function early days yeah early days apparently sequoia is quite interested in this whole area we'll keep an eye on it for sure generative ai in the meantime i'm off to shop it's ten ten. thanks a lot ryan before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.